Thank you for choosing the Abide College Ministry Podcast. If this is your first time listening, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message inspires and challenges you. Now here's a message from one of our leaders, Blake Klein. Philippians 2. Paul is writing to those at Philippi, and, and he's trying to communicate to them, like, what does it look like to be a church? What does it look like to continue to be living in what Christ has for us? And in chapter 2, he begins, and, and if you look at different, um, you know, different commentaries, things like that, some of that y'all don't care about, but some of it includes verses 27 through 30. But what we're going to do is we're just going to focus in on verses 1 through 4. And I think what Paul is trying to communicate to us tonight is something that I think all of us need to understand and something that all of us need to buy into. And in chapter 2 begins like this. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count each other more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let's pray again before we move forward. Dear God, I just pray that you would show us what what you want us to see, God. That you would show us what we need to be, God. I pray that uh, anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that they would be able to maybe just take a moment and listen to what you have for them. Jesus, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So have y'all ever had like like a real like craving for something. Like I remember here, I've always heard about like, and I don't know from no personal experience, but I've heard like pregnant women, like they get these like really crazy cravings. Have you ever heard that? Like I heard about like somebody wanted like, I've heard it's like olives and like ice cream and these random weird things. But you know, like, you know what it's like to have a craving for something. Have any of you ever fasted? And like, you know, if like you fast and there's that one thing that you really, really want more than anything, What's up, guys? Oh, hey, Josiah, how you doing? Um, but, uh, you know, there's like this thing, like when you, you, when you really want something and you finally get it, it's like, ah, oh, that's nice. Like coffee in the morning, you know what I mean? And you know, like coffee in the morning, like you get your cup of coffee, you get your day rolling, and if you don't have your cup of coffee, it's just this sad, sad thing. But I think there are these things, like for me personally in my life, there are these things that I really, really want. There's these things that I really, really, really uh, crave at times, and I think some of y'all may relate to these things. So I live out in Armurchie, and near my apartment is, uh, is McDonald's, all right? And I love McDonald's. It's not good for me, but I'm doing all right, so whatever. So uh, there are times when I want some ice cream, all right? You know what I'm saying? Like some ice cream from McDonald's. I mean, like a good cone of ice cream from McDonald's, but here's the problem. And so I think some of you all know where I'm going with this, and it's very, very frustrating. You, you get up, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get some ice cream. I get in my car, and I'm excited. I'm like, well, I'm about to get some ice cream. This is going to be good. It's going to be flavorful. It's going to be nice, especially on like a hot summer day. Because I'm from like South Georgia. It doesn't get as hot here as it does there. So it's like 100 degrees. I want an ice cream cone. I'm going. I get there. And I'm, I go up to the register. I got my money. And I'm like, hey, can I get an ice cream cone? And guess what they say? Can y'all guess? The ice cream machine's broke. And I'm just like, what? What am I supposed to do now? Go to Wendy's? I mean, it's just like this disappointing thing. Like, I'm, I'm craving some ice cream. I want some ice cream. So I go, and I'm not able to get it. And here, here's another one. I know This one I, I know everyone relates to. I see tweets about this all the time. You get in your car. Uh, it's a Sunday. You go to church. Because I know y'all are all super spiritual people. And you, you get out. And if you're lucky enough to get out by 12, 
you know, you're, you're, you get in the car, and you begin to drive, and you're like, I want some chicken. Like, I want, I want the Lord's chicken, and I want Chick-fil-A. And you start driving, and you start going towards Chick-fil-A, and then what happens? It's closed, and it's this awful feeling and disappointing thing. Uh, and for me, like, those are things, like, sometimes I crave. And they're stupid little minor things, but it's, like, this thing that's, like, common. And another thing for me is, like, I'm, not, I'm kind of an introvert in some ways. Like, if, if you play games, I think some of y'all saw, like, last week when y'all were playing games and stuff like that, like, I'm more of an observer. I like to watch. I'm not really a participator. I'm kind of just hanging. And so every once in a while, there will be something that I really, really want to participate in. And for those of you that know me, I follow God's football team, Alabama football. And so, like, I'm, I'm very, like, that is something I care about a great deal. And I told myself after we lost, I was like, I can't do this anymore. But, like, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, the, the Iron Bowl rolled around. And so my brother called me, and he's like, hey, I got four tickets to the Iron Bowl. They're, like, 150 bucks, which was a steal. And I was like, he was like, do you want to go? I was like, are you crazy? Like, yes, I want to go. And so I'm like, hey, I'm ready. Let's do this. So the week is there. I'm all excited. And it was, like, during Thanksgiving break, so I didn't have any schoolwork that week with my master's or whatever. And so he calls me on that Thursday. He's like, I got some bad news. I was like, I hope your car broke down because I don't want to hear nothing about these tickets being gone. And he says, uh, yeah, we only got two tickets. And so I ended up not getting to go to the Iron Bowl, and I had to watch the game on TV, which we destroyed them. But either way, there are these moments like you want something, like you crave something. There's something that you really, really desire. And if you could just get it, you'd be happy, right? You'd be satisfied. And it's this weird thing. All those things are kind of stupid. Like when you really think about it, all those things are kind of stupid, but they're funny, and they're, they're minor, but they're the same thing that I think that's going on in our hearts, going on in our souls, going on in our minds. There are these things that we are chasing after. There's these things that we're pursuing after, and we think, if I could just get, get it, I'd be good. And the, these situations, they, they cause us to chase and pursue and chase and pursue. And there are all these different things that we believe will bring us satisfaction. And how many of you can say that you've, you've been there? Like there are these things, if, if I could just get it, I'll be good. Right? How many of you would say that there's, there's always these things in your life where you feel like you're continually chasing after it, and you're continually wanting it, and you believe wholeheartedly that if I could just get that one thing, I will be fine, I'll be satisfied, I'll be happy, I'll, I'll be on top of the world. And for me, in my life, like, that's all the time. There, there's, even right now, I think, like, if I could get a full-time job or if I could get uh, something that I'd want, there, there are these things, and I think that it'll, it'll, it'll make me feel whole. See, every person in here, like, I believe has a soul. You have a heart. You have something in you that, that desires more. And I think that even if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, like, you have something in you that times that, that I, would, I would go and I would say that, you probably wonder, like, what is my purpose? Like, why am I here? What is the reason for everything that's going on? And I keep trying to fulfill that purpose, but yet I'm continually left feeling empty and unsatisfied. And for us, especially as Americans, there's a lot of things that we're chasing after. Like, we want money, we want a job, we want a relationship, we want security. There's all these different things that we are chasing after and we're struggling to get, but often, even when we get them, there's still this emptiness. And I believe for us tonight, 
a lot of us are living in this, what I want to kind of call a, a me mindset. A me mindset. And a me mindset is this. And this is the idea, and I think we have a slide for it. This is what the statement is. If I can get what I want, I'll have all that I need. Right? How many of you would say that you've been there before? Like, if I could just get that one thing, I'll have all that I need, and I'll be fine, I'll be satisfied, I'll be great, my soul will be happy, I'll be, I'll be resting, but yet when you finally actually get it, what happens? And it's like, okay, I want more. I want something else. And what does the word say is about the heart? Don't trust the heart. It'll fool you. It'll trick you. And for, for me in my life, there, there are plenty of moments where I've thought, if I could just get this one thing in this temporary moment, I will be satisfied. And when it happens, I am left unhappy. And my soul is like, what's going on? And my soul is like, why can't I be satisfied? And my soul is asking God, like, how do I solve this issue inside of me? And I think that this idea, this idea of a me mindset that we often live in, there are three kind of broad ideas that we live in when we're trying to satisfy this. And the first is this, relationships. And what I mean by that is not just relationships like boyfriend and girlfriend. I know some of you, some of you in here think that if you could get into a relationship, you'll be, you'll be happy. Like I know some of you girls in here think, if I could just find my man and get a ring on my finger and get married, I'd be so happy. I would be great. I would get the rose. I'd be just fine, right? How many of y'all know, like how many of you can say that you've, you've been there, like they're, they're, for me, like I thought that if I could get in a relationship that I'd be just fine. And like relationships are a good thing, I'm not saying that, but it can't be the full thing that satisfies you. Many of you would say, if I could just get in a relationship, I'll have that all, all that I need. I'll be good, I'm great, I'll, be, I'll always have somebody there for me. But what happens when they let you down? What happens when they're not there? Well, you're on to the next thing, Right? And it's not just relationships between, like, a boyfriend and girlfriend. How many of you get lonely? And you want friends, and you want people to be there with you, and you want people to be there for you. Man, those moments are hard. And and you're thinking, if I could just have a a group of friends, right, if I could just have some people around me that I could trust, if I could have some people around me, I'll have all that I need. Like, God, that's all I really want. That's all that I really need. And, And for me, I've struggled with that too. Like, we all want people. And we believe if I could just have people. If I could have those people in my life, I'll have all that I need. And, and it kind of leans into this next idea is that I believe that in a me mindset, we not only want relationships, but we want like comfortability. We want security. If you think, oh, if, if I could be secure, if I could be comfortable, I'll have all that I need. Like that's the American dream, right? To go to school, to graduate, to, to live in a nice little house with a white picket fence and everything's daisies and roses and everything's fine, but yet still everyone's wanting more. And for me, like, that happens so often. I think that if I could just be comfortable, if I could have a job that pays me well, if I could have friends that are there for me, if I could be continually comfortable, I will have all that I need. I won't have to worry about anything else. But what happens when you lose those things? You want more. You chase after more. You desire more. And there's this dissatisfaction that grows in you and it leaves you wondering and anxious and fearful and and not really understanding what God's purpose is for you. And for me in my life, it happens a lot. I can find myself in all these moments where I think if I could just get this one thing, if I could get what I want, my anxiety would be gone, my fear would be gone, like I wouldn't have to worry about life in general, I would be just fine, and yet when I get the thing that I want, I am left still fearful, still anxious, 
still wondering and laying in my bed at night, asking God, like, what, what more is there? But there's good news. We don't have to live in that. And the main thing that I believe that we, we really want, we just want to be approved. We want affirmation. We want to be and feel loved. We, we think if I can get what I need, if I can be affirmed, if I can be approved, then I'll have all that I want. Like how many of you live for people's affirmation? You don't have to raise your hand, but be honest with yourself. Like there are many moments where I'm like, okay, if I can just like get this like on Instagram or if I can get this share on Facebook or if I can get people to comment on my stuff. Like we do these things. We're in such a, a culture where it's this thing where we are constantly looking for the approval of the people around us because we believe that if we can get that, it'll satisfy us. We'll feel good. And guess what? We'll have all that we need. But what happens when it doesn't give us all that we need. It's hard. It becomes difficult. It becomes these moments where you're wondering, what do I do now? What's next for me? What, what can I do? And, and I think it's kind of interesting. I was reading this article recently on this, this idea that, that we're kind of talking about. And it's this article in the Washington Post. And the title of the article was this, The Unhappy State of America. And that's crazy. When you think about it, we're the one country where everyone's free. They can do whatever they want. We're not persecuted. We don't get hurt for the most part. Like things are pretty good. Like you get to wake up and you get to choose what you want to do every single day. And yet the title of this article is The Unhappy State of America. And I just want to read you a few quotes that maybe you resonate with, maybe something that you, you kind of recognize as for yourself. Uh, this, is, this was one. Jobs are plentiful. Growth is picking up. Prices aren't rising too quickly. And unemployment is on track this year to hit the lowest level since 1969. But Americans aren't happy. Next quote. People are not content in their jobs and relationships. And depression diagnoses are at an all-time high. Next quote. 40% of American adults say that they're lonely. Double the share of the people that said that in, 19, in the 1980s. So we are in the greatest time period ever. We have more resources than we could ever want. We have more connections to people than we could ever want. We have everything we could ask for in America, and yet we are the most unhappy people in the world. Why do you think that is? The me mindset. If I can get what I want, I'll have all that I need. And guess what happens? You're left wanting more and more and more, and when you get the thing that you want, you are left unsatisfied, unhappy, and searching for more. And, and even when it seems to be like security, even when team, things seem to be where they need to be, we are left wanting more. And I think this is what's good, is like I said a minute ago, this has kind of seemed like really, really negative so far. But the reason I wanted to lay out this like idea of where we're at is so that we can understand where there is hope found, where there is peace found, where there is grace found. And what we find is Jesus. And Jesus encounters a man that I believe is living in a me mindset. And this story is found in Mark. In Mark 10, 17 through 22, and many of you have made, maybe have heard this story. Jesus is, is with a young, rich guy. And this guy, I was thinking about, I was like, he's got to be super wealthy for the one description of him to be is rich. Like of all the descriptions they could describe him by, it's rich. And so it says he's this rich, young, wealthy guy. And he comes to Jesus and he says, hey, Jesus, how do I inherit eternal life? 
And Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. You know them. And then the man says, yes, I know them. I've followed them since I was young. And then Jesus says to him, okay, then go sell everything that you have and follow me. See, what I think Jesus is doing here is I don't think he's concerned about the stuff. He's concerned about the heart. And what's interesting is what we find here is that this man, his response is this, sadness. See, this man couldn't let go of the things that he had. Why? Because he believed, I think, that he had everything that he needed. But yet, what was he doing? He was asking Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Like, I have all this stuff. I've followed all these commandments. I've followed the religious laws. Like, I've done everything that I can, but still, I want more. And then the thing that Jesus tells him to do, I believe, is the thing that he is calling us to do tonight. And he's saying, let go of those things. Don't live in those things. Those things can't bring you satisfaction. Sell them and come follow me. Tonight, this main idea that we're going we're gonna to focus in on is this. A satisfied life will be the result of a selfless one. A satisfied life will be the result of a selfless one. And, and this is what we have to do, is we have to understand that your satisfaction in life, the, the contentment of your heart, is not going to come from the things that you receive or the things that you get materially or the things that you think you can achieve in your life. But it's going to be when you let go of everything that you've held on to, when you sell those things and you follow after him. That's what we're called to, a selfless life. Because when we're able to give away self, we find satisfaction in the only thing that can give it. And that's what we find ourselves, I believe, in Philippians. And you may be asking yourself, all right, that's great, Blake, but how do I do that? And I believe that in Philippians, Paul lays out for us what we have to do so that we can live in satisfaction out of a selfless life. See, what's interesting here is that the beginning of these couple verses, this is kind of like a conditional statement. And if you know English, conditional statement just means if this is true, then this also should be true. It's, it's an if clause. And so Paul begins by this. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. See, Paul begins in this first verse, he wants to remind those at Philippi of something. And what he's saying is that, hey, he wants you to put your money where your mouth is, basically. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christian in Philippi, and, and us as readers, if you're a Christian tonight, Paul's saying, remember these things, then do this. Be reminded of what you have received from Christ in your relationship with him, and then respond out of that remembrance. See, Paul, he begins and he says, if there's any encouragement in Christ... And when I began to look at this, it's these five characteristics that Christ gives to us as we have received a relationship with him. And the first thing that I think is beautiful is he talks about encouragement. And when you think about the word encouragement, encouragement is just to be able to push people towards something better, to move people towards something better, to motivate people towards something better. And Jesus is what we have as our encouragement. That we get to be encouraged by the fact that we are in relationship with him. And if you are not a believer tonight, I pray that the people around you that are believers, that in the midst of all situations, that when you see them, they would be encouraged. They would be living out of that encouragement. They would be living out of what Christ has given them. And that is what we have to hold on to. There are these moments in your life that you will come to that you're going to begin to ask yourself, what is happening around me? Why is everything falling apart? Why are things going the way that they are? And what Paul is saying, hey, remember your encouragement in Christ. 
Be encouraged by the fact that you have a relationship with Christ. Be encouraged by the fact that he is there with you in those moments where you are laying in your bed at night, where you are wondering, where are you at? He is there. He's there for you. He cares for you. He loves you, and he wants you to be encouraged by that. Paul's writing this, and he says, hey, hey, remember, if, if you're encouraged with Christ, live that out. If you have encouragement in Christ, live that out. Where do you find your encouragement? Is it in the me mindset? Are you encouraged by the things that you can get? Are you encouraged by the things that you can receive from the world around you? Or is your true encouragement coming from the fact that you are in relationship with Jesus? That you are in his story. That you are a part of his purpose. You are a part of his mission. And that he looks at you and he approves you and he affirms you. And he cares for you and he wants you more than anything in the world. That's what Paul begins with. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, remember that. He moves on and he says, if there's any comfort in love. See, we have encouragement that motivates and comfort that consoles and softens and is tender and is grace. I'll tell a kind of story to kind of illustrate what I think of this. So when I was about the fifth grade, I had a crush on this girl. And, uh, you know, in fifth and sixth grade, there are two ways that you go about handling relationship business. All right? The first way is you write a little note. And you say, hey, girl, I like you. And you do a little box that says, check yes or check. You ever heard that country song? Check yes or no. Anyways, so there's that. There's that way, right? So there's the, the note. And then you got the other strategy, which was the strategy that I went towards because I wasn't writing no note. My handwriting was trash back then. It still is. And so I went up to one of our friends. I was like, hey, can you, uh, can you tell uh, Rachel that I like her and find out if she likes me back? And so um, she went. And you know, like, back then, like, you don't have, I didn't have a cell phone. There wasn't Facebook. There was no way of, like, knowing, right? And then, like, so, so you have to wait. It's terrible. You had to wait. You had to wait to find out if they liked it back or not. And maybe I should have done the note because at least I could have got that back sooner and had my heart broken sooner. But anyway, so they, I wait two days. I get on the bus. I'm like, yo, what's up? Do you know, like, does she like me? I'm trying to, I'm trying to marry this girl. Like, what's happening? <laughs> and so, like, so, so uh, she comes. She's like, and I always felt bad for the messenger because either they had to like, give some really great positive news or they're giving some really negative news and it's really awkward for that person. And so I remember this, uh, this girl saying, no, bro, she ain't, she ain't got it for you. And uh, I was like, really? Like, I'm cute. Like, I'm a cute kid. Like, why don't you like me? And so uh, there's that. And so, like, I, I'm telling this story very jokingly, but I for real was, like, crushed. I get hurt so bad. Like, that was like the first girl I ever had a crush on. And I remember I went, my mom worked at the high school, uh, and I would ride the bus over there every day after school. And like, so they told me on the bus. And you know how like, you know how like when you're like about to cry, your like lip starts quivering and you're like holding it in and, and like people are trying to, and, and on the bus, everyone's acting wild, throwing paper, like, and people are like, hey, Blake, and I'm just like, leave me alone. Like, I'm super, like, not feeling it, and I'm just, like, trying to hold in tears and things like that. And I was a lot more of a sissy back then, so I would cry really easily. And so, like, we get there, and I finally get to my mom's office, and I, I can remember it to this day. I was like, how are you, honey? And I'm just like, I'm not good, Mom. <laughs> and, like, I remember telling her, I remember, I, I'm, I'm not even kidding, I started crying. I was crying my eyes out. And I remember she, like, and I'm a little guy, so I was even smaller back then, and so she, she, she comforts me, right? So she says, come here, 
And I remember, like, crying and crying in my mom's arms. And, like, I fell asleep. And, uh, and I remember, like, my mom was just there to comfort me. And she was there to be there for me in the moment of something that hurt, in the moment of something that I didn't like, in the moment of something I didn't understand. And guess what? I remember that love. I'm comforted by that love now. And Paul's writing, he says, if there's any comfort in love, remember that. Are you comforted by the love of Christ tonight? That in the moments that you don't quite get, in the moments that you're very unsatisfied, the moment where that craving is there for something that your soul and your heart desires and you can't get it, are you comforted and are you in remembrance of that love? See, Paul says, if there's any comfort in love, remember that. Be mindful of that. Hold on to that. Let that be the thing that you respond to the world around you with. And Paul says that. See, we know God's love. And when we remember God's love, we show that same love to the people around us in a way that is selfless because we understand, hey, maybe people are searching for something. Maybe I can be that something that shows them what they're looking for out of the comfort of the love that we've received from Christ. And Paul continues on, and this is a beautiful thing. He says, if there's any comfort in love, and then he says, if there's any participation in the Spirit. Now, as I was thinking through, how do I explain this? This Holy Spirit is this weird thing, like some of you come from different denominational backgrounds. Some of you are real Pentecostal, and y'all all about the Holy Spirit. And then others, us Baptists are kind of like this during worship. So, like, I was trying to think through, like, what is the Holy Spirit? What is the Spirit, and how do I understand, like, that I get to, like, remember that? And it's this idea. What you see throughout the whole Bible is, if you want to, like, sum up the whole Bible in one kind of statement, it's, it's God with us. God with us. And so you begin in Genesis where we see that, that Adam and Eve are in the garden, and they're running around naked, and, like, God is with them, and he's looking at them, and he's like, man, I love y'all. Y'all are so great. And they mess it up. But, but what happens before that? God is dwelling with them in the garden, Right? And then we skip on over and we find ourselves in, in Exodus and, and Jesus instructs, uh, or excuse me, God instructs Moses to, to build something that, that he can dwell in. And why does he do that? So that, that God could be with them. And then you skip on over and then the temple is built in Jerusalem. And why is that? So that there can be sacrifices given so that, that God could be with them. There would be the presence of God with them. And then you skip on over and we get into the New Testament and Jesus comes in flesh. And it's this beautiful thing, the story of the gospel. That's why we're here. And what we see is that God is with them. And then what happens in Acts, the day of Pentecost comes, the church is formed. And guess what? We have the Holy Spirit and God is with us. God is with us. The, the temple that was built is now us. We are the temple that the Spirit dwells in, that God is with us. And Paul is saying, hey, remember that. Remember the Spirit is with you, that you have participation with God, and you can be reminded out of that, that God is continually with you. And it's this beautiful thing that we get to, to buy into, something that we get to trust in, that we get to find satisfaction in that in all these moments that we don't quite understand, in all these moments we're seeking and searching, we can remember that God is with us. And then Paul, he closes out in this section where he says, if there's any affection and any sympathy. Christ has affection for us because he died for us. Christ has sympathy for us. I just want to ask this question bluntly. Do you really believe that Christ has affection for you? 
Do you, like, think about it. Like, don't just let it go over your head. Do you really believe that? Is it something that you listen and remember to every day? Do you believe that he has sympathy for you? Sympathy is God being able to relate with the things that you're dealing with. Jesus was man. He was human. He experienced things through his life, and he sympathizes with you. And Paul, just to put it all together, he says all these things, if you have encouragement with Christ, if you have any comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, hey, remember that. Live out of that. And then he says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. See, see, what happens is there's this, this, this thing that we remember, right? So we remember all those things and we respond and we live. And he says, there's this result of our remembrance. And it's of being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord. What we see is that when we remember, when we remember all the things that we have received out of our relationship with Christ, we then respond by participating with each other. And how do we do that? By being of the same mind. Everyone here, if you are a follower of Jesus, we should be the most peaceful group of people. Like we should be of the same mindset. We should be of the same purpose. We should be of the same thing moving and going forward. And then we have to have the same love. That we are loving each other in the same way. We're caring for each other in the same way. And we're being in full accord. The, the whole idea here is that, that Paul is saying, hey, you've received all these things in Christ. Now I need you to live and make me joyful. He says, make my joy complete. Make me at peace. And, and what's interesting here is that Paul is in prison and he's writing this from a prison cell. And the one thing that he wants more than anything is for his readers to remain Remember what they have received in Christ and then love selflessly towards each other and to the world around them. See, Paul understood where satisfaction was found. That remembering a relationship was the thing that you have to do and living that out. And what we find in verses 3 and 4 is this, this beautiful two statements that is very, very difficult to live out. I think it's two of the most difficult things to live out in the Bible, in my opinion, because I struggle with it. And see, the result of our remembrance of all these things is this togetherness amongst each other and then this selflessness to the world around us. And so we remember, we live together, and then Paul kind of gives this instruction that I think is outer-facing to the people that aren't followers of Jesus. And he says this in verses 3 and 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count each other more, than, more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. I'm going to read that again. And I want you to think about the way in which you live. The way in which you live to the people around you in your classes, at work, in uh, athletics, whatever it may be. I want you to think. And when you hear these words, is this what I do with my life? If this is what being a follower of Jesus is, do I do this? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. It's this difficult command that Jesus and Paul has, has laid out for us. See, Jesus said it earlier, hey, sell all your stuff and come follow me. And then Paul shows us, hey, what does it look like to follow you? To remember what we've received 
and respond to the world around us out of that remembrance by verses 3 and 4, by being selfless to the world around us and understanding that out of this selflessness, there's going to be this satisfaction because the satisfied life is going to be the result of a selfless life. And what I think is beautiful is that this is also reflected in a story that many of you probably know. And it's the story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, it's this parable. And Jesus always told the best stories. Like, if I could go back in time and do anything, I would just want to hear how Jesus told stories. Jesus tells this story, and, and it's another person much similar to the rich man. It's another person asking questions of Jesus. And it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to a test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Everyone wants to know, what, what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And he says, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And Jesus always responds like, You know what to do. Because here's the thing, he knew, what, he knew that they knew what to do. And I think it communicates to us as people that have grown up in the church, we know what to do, but do we do it? He says, what's written in the law and how do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you'll, you'll live. And that's a beautiful statement. Do this and you will live. See, a satisfied life is being able to live abundantly. And what does he say? Love the Lord your God with all your strength, all your heart, all your soul, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself, and you will live. And then he tells this story. The, the man asks, well, then who is my neighbor? The, Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, and he left him for dead. So there's this situation where this man gets beaten, and he's left for dead. And Jesus tells this story of a priest that walks by. He sees the man. What does he do? Nothing. He just keeps going his own way. And then a Levite walks by. He sees him. And he keeps going his own way. And then a man, a man very different, a man not like the Jewish man. Actually, Samaritans and Jews were not fans of each other. And the Samaritan goes by and he sees this man. And what does he do? He loves God by loving his neighbor. And he goes and he picks the man up. He cleans him up. He uses what he has to serve this man. He takes him to, to a hotel type deal. He, he pays for his stay. He does all these things for this man out of this selflessness that he has. And Jesus is answering this question of how do I find satisfaction? How do I find hope? And the man says to Jesus, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, what should I do? And Jesus asks him, who do you think showed the most mercy? Who do you think loved God and loved his neighbor? And he says, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and you do likewise. You go and you do likewise. We see two stories where, where people are asking, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And, God, and Jesus both times says, hey, let go. Be selfless. Be someone that is seeking satisfaction, not out of what you can receive, but out of what you can give to the people around you. And what we see is that this parable, it shows that this man remembered something about God and he responded out of love. And what we see in Philippians 2, 1 through 4, is this, this command from Paul to remember what you have received out of your relationship with Jesus and then respond to the world around you and do nothing out of conceit. Look to not only your own interests, but the interests of others. And how different is that than the me mindset? How different is that than where we've been living for so long? Where are you at tonight? 
And so what I want to do now is, as we kind of close up and the band can kind of come back, I just want to give you three very practical things that you can do. And these three practical things, I believe, will, will make this a lot easier. And what's interesting about the gospel is, like, following Jesus is a simple thing, but it's very difficult. The first idea is this, live to elevate others. Live to elevate others. And I want to ask this question, what if Christians were people that live to give encouragement that they've received in Christ? What if your main goal every single day was to live to elevate the people around you? to care about the purposes of the people around you, to care about the mission of the people around you, to care about the hardships of the people around you. And Galatians says, bear one another burdens. That's what we've been called to do. Would you do that? Would you live to elevate the people around you out of this, this selflessness, understanding that, that satisfaction is only found when you live this out? The second idea is this, be interested in others' interests. Are you interested in the interests of others? Do you even care about the people around you? Do you even care about what they're going through? Do you care about that weird, quirky hobby that your friend has? Do you care about that weird thing that they do? Do you care about their parents getting a divorce? Do you care about them getting broken up with? Do you, do you, are you interested in the interests of others? Because what you see in, in, with Jesus is he continually did that. He was interested in the struggles and the hardships of the people around him. And this last thing is this. Use what you have received to give relief. Use what you have received to give relief. See, in Luke 9, 23 through 25, this is what Jesus says. And I want to leave you with this idea. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? You guys can go ahead and stand. This is what I want to ask you tonight is like what you've received from Christ, do you, do you buy into that tonight? Are you satisfied in that tonight? Do you find satisfaction from what you have received from Christ? And will you allow that to be something that you are mindful of every single day? That, that Paul here, he writes, he wants you to remember that and he wants you to respond out of love. What is the thing that you are seeking out to find satisfaction from? And what is the thing that God is saying, hey, sell everything, sell those things, let them go, come follow me.